Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Santa Barbara City Councilman Mike Jordan. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Mike, I've known you for a long time as a member of the Planning Commission. I should say that I've quoted you quite a bit over the years, and now you've made the transition to Santa Barbara City Council member. Let's dive right in. What's the biggest difference in being on the council versus being in the weeds on the Planning Commission those years? Well, I'd say uh, probably what rises to the top for me is the clear kind of nuts and bolts function of the Planning Commission. You just show up, you do your job, you base it off of volumes of written material, and then compared to council, uh, my five-month experience and probably the worst five months of any newly elected, maybe, <laughs> other than after the 1925 earthquake, perhaps. But uh, council's a, uh, a, a, it's not so clear. So it's, uh, it's not so clear what your job is. It's not so clear who you uh, work with, who you don't work with, how, how you're going to work. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's really clear to me that you develop that as you go along. So it's pretty hazy at this point. What are the differences in how you approach a meeting on the Planning Commission versus the City Council? When I would cover a Planning Commission meeting, I always sort of felt like the conversations were going to be a little richer, a little more explanatory, a little more in-depth. In some cases, the items would go a little longer. When I cover the council, I feel like it's more political. I feel as though the conversations with some of the council members are more surface level, and I'm more trying to understand why council members are doing what they're doing as opposed to trying to understand the, the issue. How do you approach the council as opposed to how you approach the council meeting? So I, I would say that's not a invalid perception. It was actually one of my, at least, uh, you know, within my team um, running up to the election, it was one of my talking points that uh, my view on discussions that happen at council are more um, declaratory rather than collaborative. So it's a, for instance, a staff presentation, a few questions, and then you have an opinion and that's it okay and like you say on planning commission you've seen the fun and the agony of that <laughs> side of it where you know it's like you can run run down your questions and your observations and you're looking for answers down rabbit holes and just go on and on and on and that that to me so that might be a little too far to one side but somewhere in the middle between just listening to somebody say something, asking a question or two, and being ready with an opinion without discussing sideways amongst your peers, I think is, uh, is, is something I would like to see more of. I'd, li I'd like to see more discussion-oriented decision-making rather than the decision is ready to go at that moment in time after the presentation. It just follows those steps. Um, and I don't, I don't know the reason why, too soon. Uh, it's certainly, I've seen it that way in the past, so I'm not surprised that it's that way right now already, but uh, uh, I would love to see that uh, migrate into a much more richer discussions with questions rather than a almost a rush to um, opinion. Yeah. If you could imagine being a reporter covering these meetings, one of the things that I've noticed even before the shift to district elections is we used to have planning commissioners get elected to the city council from that board it was often a springboard to the city council brian barnwell bendy white once you sort of grant house grant house of course uh once you have this incredible base of knowledge sort of working on the front lines getting a promotion so to speak to the council was some place where you could use all of that knowledge that you developed in terms, of, in terms of setting policy. But when I look at the council now, when I'm reporting up there, especially with district elections, I sort of feel like there's a lot of questions that are being asked for the first time right there between two and six o'clock by the council members. Do you get a sense that there's a great amount of research that's going into 
these issues or when we have these council members who haven't served on these panels, I think Eric Friedman, of course, did. How do they approach it? Do you think they're coming to these meetings as prepared as they should be? Well, it's, it's a tough time to really answer on what perception I have because I literally, there's probably a council member or two I have not seen in six weeks or eight weeks mm-hmm. in person. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing them on a little square on the, on the television <laughs> screen, right? And so, but I think, you know, a couple of things you said, um, I, I think the jury, the for me, the jury's out, in my opinion right now, on whether going through the Creeks Committee, the Planning Commission, and then count, getting to council. Right now, I would say I can't tell you unequivocally that that's more of a good thing or a bad thing. Right now, it almost feels like a burden being the guy who did that because of several reasons. And some of them you've mentioned already, and that's one is definitely district elections. There's internally within the dynamics of the council, other than the mayor, there's definitely a focus on district-based decision making and district-based considerations that weren't there five years ago, eight years ago, whenever we started this transition, and um, and it. And it's not just when we're talking about something in a district, it's when we're talking about something across the whole city. Somehow the, 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 the part of the discussion gets back to a very focused um, what my district feels or what my district stakeholders feel versus what does the other five-sixths of, of the city feel. And I think that coupled with, it's not just that people haven't run up through that traditional stepping stone to council um, it's even that we have a difference on council in years 40 30 years apart type of thing um, in those experiences and um, some people have played absolutely no role with the city a zero role with the city in the in in the past so even when maybe the traditional step wasn't being made the people who didn't come up through, say, Planning Commission still had played in the city sandbox some other way, but just not on a Planning Commission or some other board or commission. They had still played in the sandbox, and they had a little bit of, um, of uh, exposure there. And so so when you put all that in a, in a bucket and jiggle it around, I think it's still a council that's, uh, that would have been under perfect conditions looking to find its way internally and externally and then when you make it uh, the you know the tail end of the economic downturn and downtown followed by the the once in two lifetimes pandemic <laughs> it just uh, it just makes the it just makes the dynamics a little more tough right now I mean so let's talk about you mentioned you're meeting with your council members you're meeting with community members through Zoom. We have this COVID-19 pandemic, this economic shutdown. How are you responding to this as a city council member? What is your take on what this community is dealing with? So I, I think we're, we're stuck in this uh, twilight zone of who does what. And, and so just as you know, listening to an interview a couple of weeks ago on, you know, you have the governor, you have the county health people, you have a city, you know, the, the least in, in terms of day-to-day what you can do as a community member out in public or within your business is governed the least by the city and the most by the county health officer and the governor. And at times those guys, those entities aren't even in sync together so much. And frequently the information that's shared by those entities is a little broad-based, big paintbrush kind of stroke and it isn't it isn't tailored to what's just going on in our little part of the world and so um, I see the city doing a much better job now than they were say eight weeks ago with uh, trying to personalize that information locally so um, and we're still making improvements we still have plans coming out we still are working on it so you know we first started all English we're bilingual we've got a presence on Facebook the mayor has presence on Facebook all the council members are putting stuff out on Facebook putting stuff out on Nextdoor um, we're about to put out a five-minute video in the next week or ten days from the mayor's office that will a bit begin to start to roll up 
what we know is going on, what we think is going to happen, and how we're going to start positioning ourselves when we come out to that. And I think you're going to see that that's a little more tailored to uh, a local reality rather than um, everybody just sitting back and watching the county's 430 press conference or everybody watching the noon governor's press conference. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, everybody, the unfortunate thing is everybody wants a simple black and white narrative to this problem, yeah. right? And it doesn't exist. I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't have a problem saying it doesn't exist. The, it's nuanced. It's not black and white. It changes every couple days. Uh, two weeks ago, nothing was happening in the Lompoc prison complex. Today, everything that's happening in the Lompoc prison complex is keeping us from moving forward to having the governor release us to start opening up. Two weeks from now, I don't. does anybody know what the next problem or issue is going to be? So trying to um, pick a plan to look moving forward for the next for two weeks from now or four weeks from now or two months from now, I think it's very difficult. We're, we're, really, we're really in a reactive state and we're trying the best we can, again, in a once in two lifetime situation to react that's never been before us before. There's a lot of pressure right now to reopen. As you know, the commercial property owners are very upset about the shutdown and how long it's lasted businesses want to reopen and there's varying degrees of understanding depending on who you're talking to at City Hall in terms of how fast we should move with all of this. You are always sort of, you've always been sort of regarded as a, a centrist, okay? You are kind of in the middle. Uh, what is your take on these concerns that are coming from the business community about, about reopening? We, st we know it's the state, but how many thousands of lives economically are going to be hurt while we sort of just sit here in wait mode? So it's pretty tough, and as you know, again, I've, I've actually publicly uh, broached that subject on are we not in a better position to move towards reopening than North County or Santa Maria, and we're certainly in a better position than Los Angeles. Um, when you start to look at it from a statistical standpoint, I mean, if that's the way you want to frame it, it's hard not to say we should be reopening or we should be even open. Um, when you start to look at it uh, as if uh, your grandparent lives with you, it's pretty hard to justify that your grandparent is one of those statistics and nobody else seems to care from a um, financial statistic standpoint. So there's a balance there. Um, and again, I think what's key to working on that balance is our ability to apply our local characteristics to a plan. And again, not get painted by a broad brush across the whole state of California. And, and as a, that'd be the worst. And, and maybe not even get painted by a brush that covers the whole county. And in fact, I know that the draft that the city put together that's going to the county, it'll be up I think Monday or Tuesday at the Board of Supervisors, the, the then it goes report. to the governor. There is actually a case made in there to separate South County criteria and thresholds from North County. Yeah. So this isn't something that I'm thinking of for the first time, or I mean, people, people are, normal people are thinking of that too, and coming to that realization that um, if the Lompoc prison system numbers are driving it like crazy, or even if uh, all the recent outbreaks have been, 90% of them have been in Santa Maria or up there, but not in Santa Barbara. We continue to have great capacity here. Testing is picking up. We actually have a testing site in the city, a, a public drive up state testing site. And so if those exist, can we put together a set of uh, criteria that allow us to start having a measured opening? Um, it's clear to me that some of the stuff you've heard from the state, like drive up retail to the curb, most business, most every business says that can't even happen. They, they can't, there's not enough business for that type of uh, dynamic to pay somebody inside for somebody to know what they have inside and bring it out to the curb. That those retail businesses need, need something more like everybody's mass control the number of people that go into the building based on the size and how far you can keep aside 
uh, no handling of the stuff, only looking at it, and protections between you and the, the employees. And can we get down that far into the weeds on a local basis? I don't know. But I think, I think, I think the pressure is there and the realization as you're starting to, to see the data on what's going to be the worst longer term impact. Is it a medical one now, an illness impact, or is it an economic one? And is one just becoming so over, so overwhelming that you need to maybe move the balance on which one you're willing to, to, to work with a little more than the other? Up till now, it's been the infection one. That's been the, the, the big weight on the scale. And can those even out a little more? I don't know. So, Do you feel additional pressure to be responsive to the business community? We know that city council is made up of all Democrats. It's supposed to be a nonpartisan panel, but it's not. And you have this reputation for not being a party guy, but being sort of an independent thinker on these issues. Do you feel more pressure to sort of appease these uh, constituents in the community? Because they may not have anyone else on the panel to appeal well, to? Well, with some exceptions, I don't really get the feeling that how we're dealing with the health crisis is a Democrat or Republican issue. There's some exceptions. Mm -hmm. but, um, but generally, I know lots of non-Democrats who are early maskers tell me they don't want to open up. You know, I get the emails from them, they don't want to open up. And they're just as supportive of trying to keep the, um, the pandemic effect away or as low as long as possible. So I don't, I don't really think it's fair to characterize that as a, it's a dem thing versus not a dem thing, or it's a business thing versus not a business thing. There are exceptions to that. There are very vocal, not Democrat people, there are very vocal business people. Um, but there's some business people who are still willing to ride this out and stay closed, who are worried about it. Worried about it not only from themselves personally, but worried about the impact to their employees of uh, having, having them have to deal with potentially infected people. So um, that said, um, I'm probably guilty of being uh, pointed at more as somebody that the business uh, section of town or sector of town will lean on and I get that and um, I, I just think it's still uh, you you have to continue you can take that input and you still have to continue to balance uh, the the impacts uh, from an economic standpoint as also from a, uh, a human health standpoint and, and try and do the best you can how did you get into all of this? You were on the Planning Commission for a long time, and you were on the uh, Creeks Committee for a long time. How did you even get involved in city politics? So many people out there, they love Santa Barbara, but they don't choose to go this path. What brought you here? Well, I sort of accidentally got involved on the, on the uh, Creeks Advisory Committee because back, back then, when that, uh, that then Measure B was passed, it was very is reasonably contentious within the uh, hospitality industry. So the hospitality industry, for every dollar they were going to sell a room for, had to add on 12 cents to that and still sell the room. Whereas if you go outside the city limits, that doesn't exist. So I can go get a room over there for a dollar, but if for here it's gonna cost me a dollar 12. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't the fact that um, uh, it was a tax per se. It was how, why, why are you putting, why are you putting a 12% burden of the room of a room on top of me, but but not other people. And to their credit, the hospitality industry uh, rallied really good around that uh, for the right reasons, for the environmental reasons. And then when I was initially set up, there was, and there might still be, I don't know, there was a um, a designated seat on the Creeks Advisory Committee for somebody designated by the hospitality industry. And this is 20 years ago, so I was maybe, yeah, it has to be about almost 20 years ago. And I've been on the, what was at that time, the lodging and restaurant board for forever. And uh, it's now called Hospitality Santa Barbara. And um, all the guys just, and the board just kind of, when that kind of stuff comes up, like who's gonna do some work, 
all the eyes just turned to my end of the table. And so, so I was volunteered to. So uh, you were quite you know, the talker even back then. Probably so, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. That was my first exposure to water, uh, water and uh, uh, water improvements, so to speak, um, and clean water and clean beaches, and I enjoyed that. Um, I liked the, um, as I always say, simply the the challenge of splitting the baby. And that was kind of my jump from there to planning commission was just an interest in these issues whatever it was so creeks committee or planning commission or now council on on there's always a problem there's always a tension between something you can open up the general plan and look at one page and go 10 page later and there's two policy suggestions that are in conflict with each other somehow and so there's always a tension in these things and the way the challenge is to deal with the tension in a manner that both sides get as much as they can while still benefiting the community, right? And so that was, that's, so I took the job with Creeks, learned, learned to enjoy that, and then um, said, well, it seems like I, I kind of like what those guys are doing, talking about land use and what goes on in the community and, and how this is going to work and how that's going to work. And so I think I actually applied for planning commission three times before. Uh, it was the third time I was appointed. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just like uh, he's the guy. Let's move him up there. I think I applied twice, and then the third time you, I. You weren't the original Barrett Reed. <laughs> no, no. So, so it wasn't like uh, I was necessarily just moved along the ladder. It was like I had interest. I kept working at it, kept uh, figuring out what I needed to do to show that I was ready or had the right knowledge and and ended up doing that. And I still, I think, um, you know, most of the stuff, whether it's with the hospitality industry, whether it's with planning commission, to me it's about um, really protecting um, not necessarily a, a um, historical view of the city or a historical feel of the city. It's about making sure that the city still translate and works well for the normal people out in the community so the whether that's the unrepresented the underrepresented the brown the white whatever person it you know you could throw them all in there but it's really just about the end of the day everything that we enjoy here every day when we get up even today when things are like a mess you know the city's still working but all those things that we enjoy if we've had kids and raised kids here all the things that they got to do that people in Bakersfield or Fresno or Montana aren't getting to do. Um, it's really about trying to work with what's going on in those positions to make sure that those continue on and reach every member of the community positively. We were having problems with downtown and State Street before COVID-19 and obviously it's multiplied quite a bit but let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the city. Community Development Department, lots of criticisms there. You had the Cosmont report that made a whole bunch of suggestions that, quite frankly, a lot of people had already suggested and noted in months and years prior. What's your take on the city and the direction that it's headed? Let's start with the Community Development Department. Uh, how, how bad of a situation is it over there? Well, it's clear, I think it's clear to everybody that improvements need to be made in that apartment. Mm -hmm. And whether, with the, the question is, are those improvements a function of direction and policy change, or are those improvements a function of uh, internal dynamics and processing at community development? I would say best case scenario is it's a combination of both of those. And so I would, I would just, as an example, Planning Commission and City Council would meet twice a year for these biannual meetings where we talk about this. We would talk about work workflow, work resources, community development. Something would come up, council members would all nod their heads and seem in agreement, but the meeting would end up would end up uh, going on its way with no direction being given to staff, no clear direction. Mm -hmm. And so it's 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 clear to me it's a combination of both. It's a combination of, of political will or political leadership and a combination of asking a department to do things better and so um, let, let me let me stop you there okay. do you see a difference now when you were on the Planning Commission at Paul Casey was the community development director 
Um, is there a marked difference in leadership now? I think you can't compare apples to apples in time. Mm -hmm. so, I, so if you just said that, I'd say yes. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the challenges that we face right pre-pandemic, three months ago, and pandemic are the same challenges that were faced five and a half, seven years ago, eight years ago. So um, if you're looking to say, well, let's point the finger at somebody, I don't think it's that easy. I think, I think it's still a combination of giving clear direction and letting, that, letting somebody see if they can take that direction and implement it, plus also um, internally processing and working on things better with a better output. I, I think there's clearly um, needs to be an improvement in a, in a customer-centric type of philosophy there. And again, I'm not saying that that's the fault of employees working there. I think that's a fault of leadership who potentially have not made that clear that that's like a top priority there, that, that it's, it's, again, there's always these tensions. And so, you're, so somebody's on the power side somebody's on the defensive side and however to resolve that the number one goal should be that at least the person who had to acquiesce to the power side doesn't leave the process feeling bad they feel still like a customer who was served rather than the opposite there's a couple petitions out there in the community right now there's one that the city manager city administrator in our city should take a pay cut another one's calling for the city administrator to leave or be fired uh, lots of tension do you think that we're going to be able to get through this with all of the same sort of puzzle pieces in place or are there is there going to have to be some sort of change for the business community to sort of say okay you're trying to work with us you're going in a new direction and allowing them to back off it so i think the i think the burden falls again on city council mm -hmm. To, to lead and that they give an opportunity through the delegation of that leadership to the city administration, city administrator or the department heads. And we follow that, pro we are willing to track, follow, be interested, be engaged in that and ready to help correct or remedy. So if you said right now, uh, this guy should go. That lady should go. Whatever. I, I just don't. I don't think that. I don't. I don't think we've put ourselves in a position where the blame is all those on on those employees' heads. Mm -hmm. That part of it is uh, uh, has been a lack of political will exhibited by the decision makers, the city council, to uh, direct or help them remedy that. Um, I'll tell you too. Um, there were there's I, there were reasons I decided to run for city council, and I I don't know that this is ever a reason that ever anybody ever does. But one of my key reasons for uh, running for city council was the opportunity to work with somebody like Paul Casey. The opportunity to work with the department heads of each department. These are these are people that I've. I've at least seen in action from a planning commission standpoint for the past 10 years. And part of the draw of, of function, being a functional part of a city council was the opportunity not, not to replace these people and look for somebody else, but was the, the sincere desire to come and work with people who I think are really intelligent, really good at what they do, have a, a good finger on their particular subject matter expertise and to work with them collaboratively to work on some of the issues that I know that are out there. there, there it was, it's, it's really frustrating right now to see this devolve into this kind of uh, uh, put a bullseye on people and when, at the worst of times. You know, there, there is no answer to the situation we're in right now and an answer today. Um, you know, the, the city administrator, the department heads are working harder than they've ever worked in their life right now. And people are calling for them to, to make less money or, or to get fired, which is absolutely just crazy right now. And it's actually, um, it's, it's, I mean, if you ask me how my year has been, it's been the absolute worst five months of any start of the year of my life. So that's pretty good, isn't it? To say that that's that's how my 220 is. My best my best bumper sticker right now is one I saw online, which is like a um, 
three cubic foot um, trash dumpster, like probably like right out here, be, you know, with those little lids on top yeah. of that, and it's got a fire in it. And so, and then it says 2020 on it. So it's, you know, the, the inference <laughs> the there is dumpster fire <laughs> is all of 2020. And, uh, well, and, that's, and that's really how I feel the year has given us so far is this constant trying to climb out of the hole every day. Uncertainty, getting killed economically, being worried about the health, uh, the health consequences, and we just need to get past this so we can start working on improvements and structure for where we want to go. Let me ask you about a couple of projects. Cerro uh, Nuevo, obviously, the city has been working with them on uh, this lease. We just found out Nordstrom is going away. It was not part of that lease uh, negotiation, but it's still part of Paseo Nuevo. Uh, Macy's was not part of that, but that's been vacant. What do you want to see happen to Paseo Nuevo? Can it survive as some uh, a mix of local and national reta- retailers without an anchor store, or do we need to re-envision that whole thing? So I don't know. So one of the difficulties there is we're a landlord, and we've leased it out to somebody else. And regardless of the dynamic that's being talked about now on improvements leading to an extension of lease, uh, that whole property, both the, the, the major major buildings on each side of it and then everything in between, are on a lease for decades to come already. Mm-hmm. And so it is no different than any... 46 years, something like that? Yeah, yeah. something really, really yeah. long. Past the end of my lifetime, Okay. We hope, and so, but uh, but it's so our power, our authority, our ability to manipulate that is governed by the lease. So um, the people who say do this, do that, I have to recognize that it is not our role to tell the owners of Paseo Nuevo what they can and can't do. Okay, that said, it's a responsive ownership. Um, they're engaged. They're responsive. They have a real vested interest in making sure that um, what's there will work for decades to come. They have a real vested interest in making sure that they're cognizant of what's going on in the world of retail, what's going on in the world of experiential uh, draw, what's going on and how State Street itself is going to look in the next decades also. And I think... Uh, they, you know, just speculating, I'm sure that they're struggling with that dynamic just as we are on the rest of State Street and how to fix it. Um, they're, they're further burdened by the fact that uh, everything that they are working on, they have non-disclosure agreements with the parties they're working on. Um, so if they're working on somebody to take over a whole building or if they're working on an IMAX and a something else and a Whole Foods on the bottom and the building former, you know, the, the performer formerly known as Macy's, the artist formerly known as Macy's, that uh, they can't tell us that because, of course, they've been asked not to and then we'd gab it and it would hurt the negotiations or what they're working on or, frankly, who they're leveraging against who else to get in there, right? And so... Um, again, it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little uh, frustrating, the arrangement that exists, um, but I, I feel that our input is being heard, our, our opinion is valued. Um, they actually own either 13 others, or this is one of 13 properties they own across the United States. They have housing in three of those already. So everybody's, you know, everybody's got the new idea of housing because I just thought of that. Let's get some housing there. But um, they're already doing housing in other locations. And so it is not that they don't want to do housing or they don't have any experience doing housing. That's certainly on the table with them. They have some um, some structural issues with the building, with the, Macy, the old Macy's building that exists that would have a problem there. Maybe they don't with Nordstrom's. Maybe they're getting to the point where they look at other sections of the mall, of, of the center where they're willing to take a little building down and replace it going up and put housing on the upper floors and replace the retail on the bottom. Um, I don't know. At this, at this point, it's, uh, it's cautiously trust what they're doing and stay engaged so that um, we know where this ends up before it ends up. 
What about the project, Peter Lewis's project behind the old Staples building? That involves some height, um, 52 feet or something in parts, uh, stacked parking, keeping the Staples building there, some sort of redesign or reuse of that. Have you, there's a pre-application in, uh, they're getting back to them on that. Is that a good project from what you know for, for downtown? Don't know anything about it yet. So well, what if we break it down into height? Should Santa Barbara be thinking about allowing buildings to go a little bit higher? So we're actually on our way to 48, above, so past 45, on whatever we're calling the accelerated uh, AUD amendments coming from uh, staff. And that will be in, in concert with also getting that allowance of uh, both that extra three feet and up to 63 dwelling units per acre in the downtown core, mm -hmm. the donor hole, as you remember it's called. So um, I don't know anything about that particular project. I'm, I'm kept in the dark on purpose so that if and when it gets to me, I don't have to step aside because I've been talking for hours with the developer. Yeah. Um, but conceptually, I, I do think that um, we're gonna, I would, I would say I could see us eventually getting to a spot where we start to look at types of housing as a category of community benefit. Mm -hmm. So we have to. Mm -hmm. So whatever you, whatever you wanna make the case for, middle income down, um, we're gonna be in a situation either, certainly with the state of California, when we don't meet our, we continually don't meet our, our housing quotas. And just certainly within the dynamics of the community and who can live here anymore and, and trying to get commuters off the road going north and south every day, um, I think we're going to end up probably whenever in the years to come seeing not just a hospital, a direct relief, um, a sanctuary center uh, being your historical type of community benefit. But if you can, and the, and the state's already done this too, and so, but if you can bring a low income, uh, uh, market rate, low income um, uh, housing project that needs up to 60 feet, there can be a place for it, even in downtown. Um, the state's already moving that direction. So the state actually has some goofy thing on, I think you can theoretically build to 80 feet within 500 feet of a Post transit <laughs> center with all the low if you can do it with all the lowest affordability mm -hmm. so that probably still won't pencil out so nobody's going to do it but you can see where the state is going they're still saying that for those three or four rungs lower rungs of affordability uh, criteria we're still just horribly short on the numbers that we're supposed to produce, as is the rest of California. So the state's gonna continually find ways to mandate that that happens. And the sooner we can get out in front of that by keeping control of that and chasing those numbers, reaching those uh, numbers that we've been given, um, the better it will be. So the, most, the more we can do to integrate those into a Santa Barbara process where we, we we quantify what that community benefit is and we set the structure of it, the better off we're gonna be, rather than just having to react to mandates from the state legislator. When looking at the future of downtown, we're talking about obviously housing, people have been talking about that for a while. More immediate is this talk of closing parts of State Street to allow restaurants to expand and meet social distancing requirements create sort of a outdoor uh, promenade feel. Is that a good idea to, to just sort of throw that out there and see, it, see, see if it works right now? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, uh, don't say we're going to do it forever. You know, that clearly to me is in the conversations I have is a generational issue. Mm -hmm. So if you've been a business owner on State Street for uh, Anacapa or Chapala for decades, somehow you have been ingrained with this idea that we need cars going up and down State Street and you cling to that. If you're a guy in your 30s or a gal in your 30s who is new to town, has a business thing, uh, much more, you're, you're more in tune, I think, with the experiential type of uh, business uh, structure and who that's targeting, mine and your kid, well, your kids someday, my kids right now, um, that uh, I think, I think that, that's the hurdle to get by is there's, there's still this kind of 
older generation of owners and businesses that have always seen it that way and there's this younger and upper coming business models and generation that uh, have seen this done successfully in other places have the type of uh, business that uh, complements that complements people walking around then and doesn't need the cars driving up and down in front of them parading and so um, I think it's definitely a great idea to start to look to try that and personally if you ask me and what I would rather have I would rather have sections of State Street closed down to walk with my wife and family routinely so uh, all the time now where they are what they look like that'll be a Santa Barbara two-year process but um, but we need again for what we see State Street going to become in the future and that's not 16 blocks of retail mm -hmm. but probably sections of those 16 blocks so three or four zones maybe an entertainment zone a retail zone a food and beverage sound zone. like Hal Conklin now oh great I'm channeling my inner Hal and a and I'll get him farther a cultural historical zone there's there's a Halism for you right but um, those will need to be supported by changes on the street changes all over but one of those changes will be the sections that are um, going to draw young families or young singles, singles in their 20s and 30s, will need to be sections that are pedestrian oriented, um, multimodal transportation. I'm not driving to the garage, I'm using shared, I'm using a bike, whatever. And they will have an interaction between the businesses and the street type of thing. We get a bowling alley downtown? <laughs> Uh, that would probably be the last thing on the pandemic list that will ever be open. Is <laughs> a bowling alley, right? Yeah. Well, someday. Uh, talking about State Street, is there any value anymore to this idea that people cruise State Street in their cars and they they look at it, people watch, they watch the businesses, then they come around and they park and they decide they're going to shop. Is that from the 70s and 80s? Well, that definitely the last part of that. <laughs> so the guy who wants to cruise State Street and looky-loo, uh -huh. there's certainly some value to him to keeping it that way. Yeah. But I don't think, I think we're done with any connection between a, a reasonable connection between a person cruising State Street, looking left and right and where he wants to go, where he would like to shop, and then going and finding a parking space and going back to that place. I don't think there's any credible connection between those two anymore. Yeah. So, and, and so there's probably a whole bunch of connection to a guy in his car wanting to cruise State Street, just to cruise State Street. Right. And um, that's not a good means to an end of where we need to be economically or as a method of, uh, of utilizing that to the community's uh, benefit. Yeah. And so much of that, too, will tie into too, to a positive end result of the revitalization of De La Guerra Plaza. Mm -hmm. If um, both of those, I think, are key on each other, having some sections of State Street that are, are pedestrian only. And so obviously linking to De La Guerra Plaza would be the block of State Street above and below De La Guerra, probably. You know, mm -hmm. and so those would tie in as a pedestrian area that would then have a a truly functioning plaza, not just in the name of plaza, but a functioning plaza uh, between uh, State and Anacapa also, yeah. and that would uh, that would in theory could become just this big circle of a uh, of a pedestrian area if if De La Guerra was closed to the roundabout and and the uh, the the plaza was re redone and that that for sure that that block on uh, on state street is also pedestrian you end up with a great place to to visit see things grab something to eat and a great place to sit and people watch and eat your meal play with your kids at the plaza mm -hmm. so <clears throat> we're coming up on august should we have fiesta this year I think it's going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, it's not my call. Um, I think uh, again, you're going to see. Uh, you're, I think there's going to be a two-pronged decision there. You're going to see what the governor or the county does in terms of that definition of a type of event. You know, on a street, five people deep on a on a street with none of them six feet apart. 
and is there a way at that particular time in August to do that safely? And uh, even if there is, so even if there is some way, so let's just say in theory, the standards say if everybody's wearing a mask, you can all sit there shoulder to shoulder and watch the parade. Okay, let's just say that's the official edict. Um, I still think it might be questionable with uh, parade organizers whether they want to go, go through with that. And we've seen this in other cities and states where the state of Texas opens up across the whole state, but the state of Austin's saying, we're not opening gyms, we're not opening Josh's bowling alley yet, even though the governor says we can't because we just think those are so... Uh, you know, we can't just plan for the young professionals, you know. <laughs> people have kids who like things yep. to do. Oh. Just send them all to Galita, that's wherever all the family stuff is anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I, you know, CSU's canceled their whole uh, fall semester or fall quarter on, uh, on campus. Uh, UC's probably going to follow pretty quick and fall so they're already saying we can't put 30 or 200 people in a classroom uh, together so um, hard to believe that we could put 50 or 75,000 people downtown on State Street um, before that but we'll see. Wouldn't the City Council have the power to say no old Spanish days we're not doing this? We would have the power to make it make our requirements more strict than the county or the the state we would not have the ability to make them less strict so let's wrap up here but let me just sort of give you the final word there are lots of business people out there who look to city hall for leadership they say there's no leader there give me your best sort of leadership pitch for what you want santa barbara to look like in one year, two years, five years, building out of this pandemic. Talk to people who just want to know that the city's in safe hands with people like you on the city council. Well, let me preface that with one of my uh, main frustrations in the first five months. And so if you would have, if you and I would have talked uh, a year ago, like at the start of the campaigning crazy, and uh, I would have said this is never existing, but uh, one of my main frustrations is the realization that uh, among the electeds that we all do our, that, that the structure is there to all do our own things separately. Um, and this is probably inherent within the position normally. Um, I, you know, we get elected separately, um, so we kind, of, we kind of keep things close to our vest. I'm learning that. And it's probably magnified by, um, by uh, district elections. I'm really only accountable to whoever voted for me or will vote for me in the next time in my district. And it's been very frustrating then from a, um, a sense of team on that we're all on the same page, we know what each other is doing, we're, um, we're consistently moving in a direction as you just talked about of leadership together. Um, so, I mean, I suffer from some of the, as do the other council members, we all suffer back and forth from some of the same things that you've already seen, that something comes out in public or something's being done, and I find out about it in the news, even though it involved another elected official. Yeah. So, I share that frustration. Um, I don't, it's, it's compounded then by, you know, I haven't seen two council members in a month, physically, you know, mm -hmm. I've only seen it on a little screen, and the other ones we kind of, dodge by each other in City Hall going to our office for the meetings and so um, but I, 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 I see this uh, for a young and old council a combination of young and old council I see it as a a valuable moment to learn how under pressure to to take some steps to address being uh, in a leadership position that is not just a faux leadership position because I'm an elected person, but actually has some effectiveness. Mm -hmm. So I see some, there's a lot of negative right now. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've had this talk with you that I'm the cuff half empty guy and my, my wife's the cup half full person in our household. So I'm always the, the pessimist. But so I, I tend to, to see a lot of the negative, but I really see a lot of the positive coming out of this. Um, not necessarily in mistakes have been made, but in, in, um, if you had to look back at something that happened last week, when you have to do it two weeks from now, you know 
a way to do it better and a way to do it more effectively and a way to do it more effectively with your peers around you or with the um, executive team staff members around you. So I see some positives there. Um, and I hope, I hope that part of this magnification of all the bad things that are going on help us realize that generally you can never, um, you can never just assume that Santa Barbara will be fine as Santa Barbara a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. It always takes work. You can't just sit back on your laurels and the tourists will always come here without you doing anything. The, the locals will always come down without you doing anything. The business community will always be successful without you doing anything. The protections for those who are underrepresented or not represented will always be there if you don't do anything. It's not, it's not true. It's just not true. It's a, it's a constant both uh, work effort and it's a constant work in progress to keep tuning it and tuning it and tuning it. And the moment you tell yourself that it's not, that you're there and things are okay the way they're going is is a fatal moment and you can't let yourself do that so so that's I don't really have anything tangible to offer other than I just see that I see that kind of dynamic from uh, what could be the what will be the outgrowth of this as being much more positive than the dynamic that I saw the first month of January because I, that was like I told you, it was one of my biggest disappointments to learn just how siloed every elected position is. And it was a shock to me, quite frankly. And so, and then it was just magnified by uh, a worsening, a worsening economic uh, state on State Street, and then just totally thrown to shit. I can say that, right? Totally thrown to shit by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so, this is a it's a moment to wake up and realize that there are um, opportunities to take advantage of that it's not business as usual it's not processes as usual and that uh, no question should be a dumb question um, and that uh, just the same old can't be the same old both for trying to dig out of this hole and trying to be more resilient for the next time we have something like this. So that's, that'll, my wife will say that's the most positive she's ever heard me say anything. <laughs> so. Great. Well, Mike, it's been a good conversation. I appreciate your time. And uh, good luck to you as you try to navigate through all of this over the next five years. <laughs> You're welcome. Four and a half. Four and a half. But, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Thank you.